Hey, welcome to the 119th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Jeffrey Giles from Automatic Entertainment. We're going to talk all about what sales reps do. He's a sales rep for Automatic Entertainment, so he breaks down the ways in which he assesses a film. They sell movies all over the world, and they become a part of those projects at every different phase of production. So they'll take a look at scripts, they'll take a look at movies halfway through, they'll take a look at movies at film festivals. And so he's going to break down the ways in which he determines whether or not Automatic wants to be a part of a project or not, and what a sales rep is thinking about in general when they're assessing a project. Right. Automatic Entertainment is the company that distributed my first movie, The Hammer, And so after we made the movie, we met these guys, Jeffrey and Michael at Automatic, and they took our movie and sold it to the entire world. I think this is a real deep dive on what makes people want to sell your movie. The answers are surprising at times. It's a a great conversation if you want to make a movie. Yeah. If you have any interest in making movies, listen to this. This is a nice lengthy conversation, so we're going to skip our catch up this time around. Um, but stay tuned out next episode because, Oren, I'm sure you've got all sorts of interesting stories from the battlefield that we'll talk about next episode. Yes, I've gone to battle many times. This episode was brought to you by patron Oscar Vaca. Thanks, Oscar. If you want to support the show, check us out at patreon.com slash justshootitpod. Yeah, drop us a buck or four or more, but, you know, a buck or four is fine. Now let's have our conversation with Jeffrey Giles of Automatic Entertainment. Okay. Hey, guys. We are here with Jeffrey Giles from Automatic Entertainment. That's me. Automatic with a C, not a K. (laughs) Right off the bat. Well, there is an automatic with a K, right? There is. There is. And they also make movies. And we get their Christmas gift boxes. (laughs) Oh, that's excellent. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. We probably get about one call, one call every other day. So what do you, can you just give us like a brief rundown of what automatic yeah. entertainment does? Automatic with a C. Automatic with a C. A sales rep is, is, a, is like any, you know, company that has a product and uh, needs to sell it. A sales rep in our business finds movies, uh, helps produce movies, helps finance movies, um, and then uh, takes it out into the marketplace Domestic, international. Mm-hmm. Like AFM and Con and those types of places. Yeah, it takes it Toronto. to the markets, takes it to the festivals, and gets the movie sold. Gets the movie out in front of distributors. And you distribute both domestically and internationally. So you're selling all of the different markets. Well, there's a different... Let's unpack what you just said, which is we distribute. We don't essentially distribute. Um, Automatic is not a distribution company. We have a distribution arm. We have, mm-hmm. a, we have a company that we've set up to handle distribution. Uh, but that is not automatic entertainment. Right. I suppose you sell to distributors. So is that accurate? Automatic's sole responsibility, like our, you know, our mission statement, would basically be to find movies, uh, sell them for the highest price we possibly can, and sell them to whom? To distributors. To so distributors. To, to to companies, to people that want to put movies in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. And um, so my experience with Automatic is the my, my first movie, The Hammer. They were the international sales reps on it, and at least. I'm probably giving like the not super accurate version of this, but the way I remember our interaction is that you guys watch the movie, you say, okay, we're willing to sell it. You give us a list of territories. Here's like all these countries that we're going to try to sell the movie to. 
here's the minimum amount that we expect to make from this country and here's the maximum amount. Mm -hmm. There are terms for that, right? What are, what are the terms? It's like the ask and the buy? Is the that The ask right? and the take. And yeah. the take, there you go. Yeah. yeah, those are, yeah. There's a lot of jargon in that world that like can make your head spin a little bit, so it's worth kind of checking yeah. every once in a while. Ask and take is right. just the min and the max, basically. So uh, basically you say, for Lithuania, we're going to ask for $10,000, but we'll take $500, mm -hmm. right? Something like that. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it depends on the movie, depends on the cast, depends on everything, depends yeah. on if the territory even cares, right? Some that's you're not going to sell a Christmas movie in Saudi Arabia. You'd be surprised. Really? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what can be sold or bought in today's marketplace? I guess the, you know the reason why I'm I'm kind of staying like a little bit quiet or hesitant, like for this part of a conversation, is because what you guys are describing. And, and what we did on the hammer, uh, even though that was, that was what, 2011? Yeah. Yeah, 10, 11. Uh, that's old. Like, oh, really? it is just an old way of doing business. Um, oh. Uh, in, in general, like, you know, if I'm, if I'm advising uh, somebody from the outset uh, who's doing this for the very first time, looking back at those old methods of, of how mm -hmm. to get a deal and how to right. how to go about, you know, constructing your deal and asking for things like estimates and, and whatnot. There's no harm in it. But uh, if you're making a movie and you don't know what it's worth from the outset, then you you probably need to go back and think about what the hell you're actually doing. Yeah, so that that's a really great piece of advice just right off the bat, right? I think that a lot of our listeners and a lot of people who are dreaming about making that first feature, they've got a story inside them. And they've just, they've got to get it out. This is their dream. They want to make this movie. And the thought of what is this movie worth? What's its value to Lithuania or whomever else? Uh, isn't a question that they're asking themselves yet. Because like, there's so much of like, well, if it's good, people will want to see it. Right. right. So, so let's take a step back. How would someone even uh, come to terms with what they think their film is worth in your eyes? I think it starts out with the idea in the first place. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we're in a weird position as a sales agent, as um entity that shepherds an expectation because that's that's really what it is that we do mm -hmm. uh is we we're in the business of expectation management um <laughs> <laughs> that's you, funny i thought you were just selling people's movies <laughs> right i mean but if, if i approached my lithuanian buyer with uh, a movie that's essentially marketable like taken um and i'm asking the same price that was asked for the movie taken like mm -hmm. that's a that's a mismanagement sure, sure. of an expectation from you know uh from the intermediary to the client and if i've set that expectation up from the producer to the to me as the intermediary then you know the whole process is broken so it's about like our job is about managing expectations i think when it comes to uh determining value we have some preconceived notions, mm -hmm. um, but it's so important for the filmmakers before I think they type the end at the end of their screenplay to know what 
what type of value they're actually looking to extract from this mm -hmm. process of making a movie because you know who among two men defines success in the same way mm -hmm. right um so if your if your version of success is i'm gonna go make my movie about my you know a dying family member mm -hmm. and um i'm gonna pour all my heart and passion into it and it's gonna be this really intimate story and it's going to be super powerful and it's for an audience of one me <laughs> and you just have to tell this story because it's so deeply rooted in you and it ends up becoming nebraska mm -hmm. you know like sure well done <laughs> well it's like, but like is that is you know what did you set out to do mm -hmm. you know did you set out to to win an academy award or mm -hmm. did you set out to make a movie about you know something that was super personal and mm -hmm. and what what's the word intrinsic to you you know mm -hmm. proprietary right i think the real thing is is understanding the value of success right mm -hmm. and how you define success from the outset uh, that's, that's like, that's the most important thing. Cause there are the people that we meet, uh, who will put, um, pictures on a radar or projects on a radar and they define successes. I'm, you know, we're going to make this for one and we're, I want you guys to sell it for three mm -hmm. and, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, and you're saying like 1 million and 3 million, right? Just to be clear. <laughs> well, in terms of we're going to make it for 100 and sell it for 300, we're going to make it for 1 million and 3 million. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to make it for a price and we're going to sell it for a profit. Wherein uh, the sales agency makes money. I've left hopefully some money on the table for the distributors mm -hmm. uh, so that they're going to make money in their own territory. Um, and, uh, and all of this, you know, gets uh, an ROI financial, you know, ROI back mm -hmm. to... Uh, back to the guy who put up the, the first money in the first place. Right. Something that maybe is not clear to people is I'm sure some people are listening and going like, well, I don't want to make like Sharknado, you know, I don't want to just like don't, don't do make this genre. Well, and do make Sharknado, you know, there's yeah. nothing um, wrong with Sharknado. Yeah, but sometimes like the Sundance laurels can be just as marketable as the genre or the Jason Statham Absolutely. cast, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, can you walk us through like some of the things that you guys see in a movie that make you feel like you're going to be able to uh, yeah. set high expectations and meet them. Or even just, you know, I mean, I think there's other criteria of like, oh, we want to take this project on or, oh, it's not for us. What are some of the consistent things that you have seen that make you excited for a project and, and feel like it's going to be a successful in, in, yeah. in everyone's terms? If I could boil that down to one word, it would be contribution. Mm -hmm. it, would be a, it would be a movie that contributes uh, to the artistic community, you know, so it pushes, it pushes the, the envelope, it pushes the genre, it contributes to what we're all trying to do here, which is make something, you know, special and unique. Mm -hmm. Um, cause arguably even the Sharknado, you know, like sure. nobody sets out to make a bad movie. I love the guys at the asylum. They're, sure. they're good friends. I, you know, they'll be the first ones to, to back their projects. Nobody sets out to make a terrible movie. Um, the batting average is high. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it seems like, uh, so, it, you know, in terms of contribution, like it, if it's something that, that inspires people, you know, mm -hmm. or inspires other artists or that's first and foremost, I think important. Um, and then it, 
as automatic if it contributes to distribution. Because mm-hmm. distribution and the artist community, as, as much as they are interlinked, they're really not. I don't sell movies to consumers. You know, A24 mm-hmm. puts a movie in front of consumers. Um, I sell, and, and A24 sales team, like they're positioning their movies or our movies to buyers, you know, and it's a completely different psychology. It's a completely <laughs> different process. It's, you know, to equate it to something, I think, I guess more tangible uh, would be like uh, car lots. I don't sell the car to the consumer. I sell the package of cars to the dealership, uh-huh. you know. Sure. Um, and then the dealership knows, oh, m- you know, my consumers in my territory, in my region, like they prefer, mm-hmm. you know, Ford Focuses, whatever. Like right. w- we need more Ford Focuses. So if I can contribute to that community <laughs> by selling more Ford Focuses, <laughs> then great, you know. Right. Um, if that's what people want. So what are you seeing buyers want today? Forward focuses. They definitely (laughs) are looking for... (laughs) Just like a smart economy car. (laughs) It's got a great... Yeah, good good gas mileage. Good great gas mileage, yeah. Yeah, 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 maybe some backup (laughs) camera. But... Well, uh, when when I met with you guys last week, what Michael said was like, he didn't say this in these words, but what the sense I got was like a slow burn type of movie is not something that's easy to sell. Well, I would, I mean, Michael's my partner. I love the guy and we have wildly different opinions on these things. Um, I would, you know, speaking of a 24 hereditary is arguably a slow burn picture. Um, any Kubrick picture is arguably a slow burn picture, but it's a Kubrick picture, right? And, and, and would is, you, does that mean it's an Ari Aster? Is that how you say his name? Yeah, Ari I think Aster? so. Yeah. Picture? Like, you know. Well, that's a Tony Collette film, I guess. Right. Like, and, but this With is my an point. amazing like, trailer. Would you have picked up Hereditary? Would you have been like, oh, we're going to sell this movie? Expectation. What's the expectation? Mm-hmm. You know, have I, have I, has, is that, has that been aligned? Expectation, I think, makes a ton of sense. But I think that there's also gonna be a listener out there that's like hey man i just want to get my movie on lithuanian netflix and i'm not that worried about making my money back because i only spent seventy five thousand dollars that i got from my grandma sure let's say that movie's that seventy five thousand dollar movie is a masterpiece though Mm -hmm. like it's you know tartakovsky it's Mm -hmm. it's kubrick it's just a genuine masterpiece of filmmaking but what your question kind of presupposes is that quality is somehow tied to financials. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely not. Just because, uh, you know, Hereditary is made for probably a net $5 million, maybe even less, and it grosses whatever it's at, sure. 36 in the sure, box sure. office now. Like, is that is that financial success? A24 could tell you, but... I would think in some ways that that margin for financial success, just based on what I know about distribution, and I'm still learning every day, so full disclaimer there, but I would guess that that margin is actually pretty thin. Hmm. Interesting. And, and That's so, like, really interesting. Uh, so again, it's like would, your question, would I, love, would I like to sell Hereditary? I would love to sell good movies, mm-hmm. uh, but... 
have sold, you know, the Sharknados of the world, and they arguably can make more money and thicker financial margins mm-hmm. than something like the the hereditaries of the world. Right. Uh, we've sold movies out of South by Southwest and Sundance and uh, Toronto. And uh, <laughs> it's not always this way, of course not. But sometimes those movies can sell f- like way less than Jurassic Galaxy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, but so th- again, this is, this is about like defining success. Right. There's just, there's, there's zero correlation between being a good movie and selling for a high number uh-huh. or being a good movie and being broadly distributable or that distribution guarantees money in any sort of way. Right. Uh, just because you have the mechanism to put a movie in front of an audience um, doesn't mean it's going to, you know, the audience mm-hmm. is going to transact. Like what makes a movie easy for you to sell? That it premiered at Sundance? Does that help? No, because <laughs> we've taken a look at movies like, like, uh, oh God, Katie Goes Home or something like this. You know, the girl that was in uh, the Spielberg um, Ready Player One. It was mm-hmm. Percival and then the girl. Yeah, yeah. I forget her name. But anyway, like Kitty Goes Home stars this girl. Right. We took a look at that movie and, and it was interesting. There was an exploitive angle, but that was the wrong angle to play on this picture because it was it was trying to be sweet and genuine and grounded. And, uh, and if, if we encouraged the filmmakers to market it in an exploitive way, it it probably could have done more business, mm-hmm. but we looked at that and we were just like, this, it's just a misaligned expectation, you know? Um, and so, so we, unpack that though. You said a misaligned expectation. You mean that they think that their movie is worth more than you, you see the potential for sales? Well, I can't, I can't speak to what they thought cause, uh-huh. because I don't know what their goal was, but because <laughs> uh, they were working with uh, an agency intermediate, like one of the big agencies. And that's that's really how it works. Is is uh, if you're premiering at uh, a festival, one of the big agencies, WME, uh, CAA, ICM, they're going to try and latch onto your project and rep your project, and then and then uh, sell it to guys like us, mm-hmm. who then have to sell it to guys. Uh, like, you know, the buyer base, the international domestic buyer base. So we have to sell it to the salesmen and then the salesmen sell it to the consumers. Mm -hmm. So it's just a bunch of fucking hands feeding, (laughs) you know, uh, before the money actually goes back to the filmmakers. Um, So we never were in touch directly with the filmmakers on that project. But, you know, but that's that picture is probably more representative uh, than of, of the average situation than not uh-huh. is that like y- you'll hear about hereditary coming out of Sundance. You'll hear about, um, you know, source code coming out of South or premiering at South by Southwest. You'll hear about these premieres and these big deal premieres, but there's tens of hundreds of movies at these festivals that you, you never hear about. They, you know, they just kind of silently float into, distribution we've touched some of those pictures Mm -hmm. uh and and it's always nice as a sales agent to to have a picture that has 
accreditation to it that has, you know, festival validation to it. Um, it's a, it's an easy pitch bullet Mm -hmm. to, to send, you know, out to our, our buyer base and say, Hey, you know, this just premiered at South by Southwest. Look at the, the initial reviews here, some, you know, blurbs, but it doesn't, it doesn't guarantee sales, Mm -hmm. you know? And well, do the buyers watch the movie? Always. (laughs) Always, <laughs> is that? And I, I know that's a silly question, oh, but no, right? I, because people pre-sell movies just, right off posters and John Claude Van Damme being in them. Well, don't they? or does they, that not I happen? Think, I think buyers watch movies at festivals, and that's why the festivals have become kind of the the breeding ground for deals that they've actually become in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was always festivals, like especially Sundance have been important, you know, for, for decades. Right. You know, and you heard those stories of Harvey Weinstein, you Mm -hmm. know, running down filmmakers with a check in his hand and, and, uh, telling them to sign on the dotted line. I mean, that's, that's nothing, that's nothing really new, but really like since 2000, we've, we've seen since 2010, that's when the agencies really started to like the, the talent agencies, that's when they really started to get involved Mm -hmm. in, being intermediaries uh, to sales agencies or to um, distributors because they were looking at these little movies, these, mm-hmm. you know, sub-million dollar movies, these SAG-modified low-budget pictures, and they were saying, oh, my God, you know, we can, we can, we can go sell this movie for 500K. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, you know, 10% margin. Great. You know, right. that, that helps pay for this person's salary or this, right. you know, this desk or, or this a trip to Sunday phone or <laughs> gas in this guy's jet, whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, so they were looking at all these pictures and, 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 uh, there was a market that was really built, you know, out of yeah. transacting these pictures. Um, th- but it's a, it's a market of falsehoods in some ways because for every, you know, for every turbo kid, mm-hmm. there's a kid, he goes home. There's, there's right. a picture that just, premieres and is okay and it, it's fine and it's got the guy from that show girls and who cares you know right. i'll watch it like i'll watch it for quote unquote free when it hits netflix if right. it hits netflix oh shit it didn't hit netflix well i'm on to yeah. the next season of glow anyway so yeah, right <laughs> Glow's excited. pretty good Glow's, yeah. uh, i can't i can't wait for um i like glow well so <laughs> so even though it's an old example the hammer which came out in 2011 i think we dealt directly with you guys right yeah. our producers yeah. joe and eben um I, like you said, as filmmakers, you're expecting to make like 10 times the amount of money you put in because everyone on set is so passionate about the movie. You think that the whole world is going to be that passionate about it. And then yeah. you realize, well, the whole world doesn't sure. didn't work on the movie. Well, and to be fair, also, like even when you screen it, you screen it at film festivals. That's a self-selecting audience. So it's like, of course, the people there are going to respond to it a little bit more than the you know, yeah, mainstream that's, at that's, large, right? It's its right. own sort of, yeah, that's an insulated viewing experience right. that is unique. It, the, I would say the vast majority of people outside of the festival experience are watching movies on their laptop. And not watching sure. independent films, to be yeah. honest, right? But so we had kind of two big interesting sales through you guys. Mm-hmm. One was you guys sold our like airline cruise ship rights, whatever those Ancillaries, are called. yeah. Yeah, which and I don't know. I think we made a decent amount of money on those, and it's not even like a territory. I think a lot of filmmakers think of that was it, a good it, deal. It's also a surprising treat. Like uh, like <laughs> right. our, our previous guest uh, um, Morgan Dameron, her, her uh, movie was on United or Virgin or something, mm-hmm. 
and I texted her a picture and she was like, yeah, it just came out this week. And like we've talked about it since. It's like such a delight to, for people to just be like, oh, my God, your movie. Because they're a captive audience, too. You know, True, it's, yeah. it's different. It's a different reaction than, well, than even like a Netflix or something. But that's that example is a really good like proof of or validation of what I've been saying in terms of a picture that contributes. Because mm-hmm. um, while that picture didn't have while well, Hammer didn't have, you know, exceptional cast, uh, it was an exceptional looking movie um it, by all means it should win academy awards compared to the vast majority <laughs> of the pictures that i see um which is a real credit to you Orin. but Thanks. um uh but that movie works for for ancillary sales because it appeals to a family mm-hmm. uh it's not offensive it contributed to that buyer's um like ecosystem of movies they could then present it because again like even then that buyer is not selling to the you know the person that buys a ticket on the on united they're selling to the united Mm -hmm. airlines you know programmer who is looking at a swath of content this quarter and saying well i'll take you know equalizer two and yeah i'll Mm -hmm. take i'll take all the season you know two seasons of glow and uh okay i need you know i need 20 movies in my family bucket. Mm-hmm. What are, what are the family movies? And then, you know, these, the ancillary sales companies, they go and they present, you know, here are all of our mm-hmm. independent family movies and hammer just like it checked the box, you know? Right. I think it's That's a movie a that if you watch it on an airplane and the person next to you sees your screen, you're never like embarrassed or squeamish, <laughs> right? It's like, it's oh, PG 13, but it yeah. could, it's on guys, the edge of PG. I watched you know? girl with a dragon tattoo on a plane once, <laughs> <laughs> but it was probably edited for the airlines, right? Maybe it was on Virgin. So right, well, let's, let's, let's do this. What's the, like, what's the worst captive movie experience you've had on an airplane like you watched it and you were like this was probably not I, probably girl with the dragon, girl with the dragon. Yeah. well i watched um karen and i watched uh homeland which uh-huh, there's like yeah. a big sex scene and we're like turning the ipad screen yeah. around so that the kids next to us don't see it um but i watched i think chef that john favreau movie mm-hmm. yeah sure and i was like crying at the end of it, I was like so moved, and I was like so embarrassed. You're like gonna like start I was a food like truck and hiding cook my Cubanos. hiding my eyes because I didn't want people on the airplane to see that I was like getting teary eyed watching a movie. I think there's something though about watching a movie on an airplane that your your emotions are heightened in yeah, a way. Sure. I I cry constantly <laughs> on the airplane while watching movies. I I cried during Captain Phillips. It was the first time I watched that movie, and yeah. I was uh, that was that was a tough one. Yeah. Um, well, so I think so. Yeah. So I think the hammer probably hammer did okay probably on caused some, It caused oh, some people to cry on there. Definitely. Oh, I yeah. Hope. yeah. Not me. like get me off this plane. I mean, I got nerves of steel. Um, <laughs> but uh, the other surprising sale we had is we had like a pretty good sale in Latin America. Yeah. Which was totally unrelated to the. I mean, maybe it was related to the family nature of it, but. Uh, at the time, Matt Hamill, who the movie was about, was a UFC fighter. Yeah. And in Latin America, UFC was very popular, right? Was that, or at least that's what I kind of assumed was part of why it was. It, it, it was did a well. pitch bullet, definitely. Um, but the reason that that sale occurred was because there are sometimes in the business trigger sales that a, that you can um, mm. 
that you can capitalize on if you have a title that performs at a certain level or has a certain type of release. Um, so for example, uh, Hammer did, I forget what it was at the time. It was either, it did over a million dollars in box office or it was released on over a hundred screens. Yeah, it was the hundred screen thing because you guys asked us to send you like the list of screens or something. So yeah, so we could, we could quantify that information. Uh, for the buyer. The buyer then would be able to present that information to their TV network or mm-hmm. you know Netflix, whatever. And they could say, well, here's my list of bona fide theatrical titles. And, uh, and then here's my other stuff. Mm-hmm. And because your title performed at a certain level, they were able to meet a quota for a sale in their territory. So that one worked out. Right. That's the one very rare example of when a theatrical but, actually matters for an independent film. But I'll give you a, an example, like as beneficial as that was for that sale, uh, there are there are negative triggers also. Like, mm. for example, I, I'm almost 100% positive we did not sell that title to France. Yeah. But that's because France has an embargo against titles that perform theatrically in their territory of origin. doesn't matter if you're from the UK or from the US or Canada. If mm. you're in theaters in your territory of origin, France says, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? We will, no, program, we will program our own picture. Is that, that's true. So like Star Wars yeah. opens here. The studio pictures are different. Stu- oh, gotcha. Uh, because the studios have you know, massive distribution streams across the world. So, But for independent pictures, uh, China, mm-hmm. uh, parts of uh, Eastern Bloc, uh, China, uh, France, um, this is an issue. So like as beneficial as that sale was, mm-hmm. you know, one could argue, well, like, you know, what was the profit that was derived out of North America based on that theatrical release? Did you make any, did you actually make any money mm-hmm. off that? I don't, I'm not asking you to right, answer right. it. I'm just saying like, but that's an important thing. Like, did you make money off that hundred screen release? And if you didn't, how much more money could we have made had we been able to sell it to France? And right. so let me ask. Um, but then how much money could we have we not lost made, from, Latin, lost right, from right. Latin America? Or could we have sold it for the same amount and just, you know. Right, not had that trigger. Exactly. Yeah. What about, um like a VOD or like a transactional like streaming release only would that allow you to still sell to yeah so if it bypasses theaters and it goes straight to mm-hmm. what we call home entertainment if it's a home entertainment release then that's fine but like day and dates uh, become extremely uh, you can find yourself in a predicament on a day and date you know it's a like we were talking with Saban today you know they they do day and date on a lot of their pictures 10 you know 10 theaters whatever 20 mm-hmm. theaters and uh you know, a picture like Shot Caller, as great as that movie is, mm-hmm. like that picture will will be almost unsellable in France or in China. Hmm. Um, not necessarily because of the content, but because it was theatrically released. Right. I don't think that movie's really going to be a big sale in sure, those territories. It's kind of a calculated yeah, risk. But, yeah. Interesting. But yeah. So it's a factor. Yeah. It's a factor. Yeah. So. Um, well, so Matt is is putting together a movie right now, right? Congratulations! Yes, yes. Thank you. It's Thank a great, you. it's a great yeah. thing. Yeah, it feels good. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, like under a million dollars. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, well, well uh, under a million. So let's yeah. call it SAG modified. Yeah, you could even call it ULB. SAG Ultra. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Um, Is it going to be a budget. union picture? Or are you going to do SAG? Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Why yes, definitely? Uh, because of the talent attached. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, you just want good actors. So mm. the, the, only the good actors are in SAG? I don't want to hate. Most of but, the very experienced actors are in SAG. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think also even uh, let's let's take uh, the quantitative of like good or bad out of it. I think the the talent of a certain level that you were describing before mm-hmm. all happen to be SAG or not happen to be are explicitly SAG. Okay. Right. Wouldn't you, would you disagree? Is that an assumption I'm making that's incorrect? Can you name a great actor that's not SAG? No, 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 not great, not great. Recognizable in in a moderate capacity. John like, John Voight. He's not SAG. <laughs> he's FICOR, which means okay. he can do right, 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 non-union, right? But but you know um, what I mean, like oh, that guy from that TV show. I do. That means but, they're SAG. Uh, well, let's you know, I love talking. Like this is, this is, I'm going on a rabbit hole here. But what's is there an advantage to go non-union for sales? You have to. It's something to take into consideration. I think there, you know, depending on your budget size, uh, there's just as many reasons to not go union mm-hmm. as there are to go union. Uh, if your talent pool demands it, but sure, you, yeah, you know, sure. but if your talent pool doesn't demand it, <laughs> or what you're trying to do doesn't demand SAG mm-hmm. actors, and your budget is so low. Uh, there's implications. Uh, w- once you pay a SAG actor on set, you pay them for their on-set work. But as soon as your movie gets into distribution, you have to pay that actor again. Mm-hmm. SAG uh, takes a what's called a first-position security interest in your picture. So they are your number one investor, mm-hmm. um, whether you like it or not. So if your picture gets distributed and uh, the public transacts on it, and you made nothing through that distribution mm-hmm. because yeah. the expenses for distribution were so high. Whatever. Let's right. say you signed a terrible deal, uh-huh. and the distributor gets to keep all this money, but you get zero. But still, it went your your little hundred thousand dollar movie mm-hmm. went and transacted four hundred and fifty thousand dollars in North America. SAG doesn't care whether you made nothing and signed a terrible deal. They care that people watched actors in their union, mm-hmm. and so they will tax you. For the $450,000 that was transacted, you can't pay it. Well, we have a first position security interest in your movie. So right. so then what happens then? So then SAG basically owns your picture. And that's what happens with, with when you sign with this type of union. And it's right. not a bad it, thing. It's just it's part of the game. It definitely it's something, happened to us on the hammer. Like all of a sudden we got some big check and we were all excited. Ooh, let's pay out the investors. Oh. And then Evan's like, uh... SAG just called me. We need to send them $40,000. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, You're like, where did that come from? He's like, I don't know, I guess. It's well, just so this, the, this, yeah. would be, this would be my first piece of advice sure. to you, you know, on your, on your, you know, UBL to modified low is um, it would be very wise for you to carve out a portion of your actual production budget mm-hmm. for SAG down the road. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And that's just like, just, Put that money in an account, store it, mm-hmm. you know, save it for that rainy day. But this also feeds into the very beginning of this conversation, which is you should generally know the value of your picture before you start. Sure. Like, you know. So how does one, how does Matt figure out the value of his picture, let's say? Well, the easiest thing is what's what's your picture like? Mm-hmm. like you what's mean the like, genre? What's the genre? 
No, yeah. like name another movie that. Oh, that, interesting. Like Blue Ruin's it, actually not a bad. It, I think it, Blue Ruin um, is not, or like Brick. There's, okay, but Blue Ruin's kind of an, a lightning in a bottle because Harvey Weinstein did chase Jeremy sure. down with a check, or Film Science, his his agent, sure. down with a check, and and you know, before the movie had even completed, I think, and then and Blue Ruin is. Much more gory and violent. Than it's a little more. Yeah, it's more gory or violent. But, so basically, so it's a slow burn. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I don't. I don't that's, totally want to talk too much about. Yeah, it. Well, yeah, no, but which is no, tricky. So listen, um, we don't. Have, we we can talk about like, but, one yeah, of my projects too. I'm just saying, like hypothetically, this is right. the important thing to think about: is like, what's the other movie that my movie is like? Because right, that's the Hollywood mm-hmm. adage: is like, sure, sure, do sure, the right. same thing only different, right? So, right. So I think it's it's easy to say that it is a neo noir, right? It's like it's a it's a little it's a mumblecore thriller. Right, so you take uh, the puffy chair and you take Blue Rue and you mix them together, yeah, and that's this movie. I know what Michael would be doing. He'd probably be like, <laughs> "Sure, sure, <laughs> great, great." But I'm cool with like, I, you know, yeah. These a, are these, a funny thriller is not a crazy pitch. Uh, no, it's not a crazy pitch. It's execution dependent. Would sure. be, you know, it's it's a uh, it's it's going to be a, a calling card of proving ground. You sure. know, if, yeah, yeah. if you can pull this thing off in a seamless manner, and uh, this and by the way, Matt is not the director; he's yeah. the producer on it. Yeah, but you still have to ask your question. Like, you still need to internalize what is my movie like? Mm-hmm. Where is it going to perform? And what distribution has been done on these types of movies? So they aren't in business anymore. But getting you know TWC Radius mm-hmm. to to pay you you know an exorbitant amount of money for the distribution rights to your picture in North America, like that's lightning. You know, premiering at Cannes right. is lightning in a bottle. They were turned down by Sundance, you know, and and even in their you know you're their, talking about Blue Room, yeah. Even in their their interviews, they were like, oh my, you know, we got in. It was an amazing like we. Totally didn't expect it, you know. So like, right? It was it was a lottery ticket, and then that lottery ticket was compounded by the fact that you know the major independent distributor in the world validated this movie for well, release. Well, let me ask you this then, though, because so you know you say what what is your movie like, and yeah. someone walks in, they kind of only have movies that we've all heard of at their disposal, right? Sure, we, you but, wouldn't recommend saying like. Ah, well, you know, a movie that did fine that we, you know, that you don't know, right? Like, what should someone say? Say, say, I walked in and I was like, I've got a gory thriller with no stars in it that I know is really good. That's that's Blue Ruin, right? So yeah, then, what do you say? As a, as a business, as the agent or as the Weinstein company, I, you know, and, unless you are. Quentin Tarantino, sure. or at this stage, Jeremy Saulnier. What, yeah. Saulnier? Saulnier. Saulnier. Yeah. Saulnier. Like, unless you're a proven talent, I'd be like, fantastic, man. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't wait, wait to see, to see it. it. I you can't know, wait to see it. Because that is an execution-dependent right. scenario. Right, right. What's a non-execution-dependent scenario? Sharknado. <laughs> Shark, I love Sharknado. That's true, I, I mean, uh, but it so depends on what your goals are and what your ambitions are as a filmmaker. Because if you're setting out to do, you know, Blue Ruin meets Puffy Chair, mm-hmm. like you're not, and, and you're not going to cast Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, mm-hmm. as sure. your lead. Yeah. Like, uh, then, yeah, well, I just wasn't in the mood to cast him. Well, He's I, a little I'm just saying that's a that's a different distribution scenario than sure. than you know. 
passing. Right, but let's take distribution out of the equation for a second. Uh, someone like Matt or like me that's going to make Blue Ruin meets Puffy Chair is trying to figure out, should I try to make this movie at $200,000 or at $2 million? But that's why I say you have to take, like the vast majority of filmmakers don't take distribution into account. They just say, we're going to make this movie because we're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know we need stars, but either we can or we can't afford stars. Um, and, and they don't think about what it actually takes to get a movie released. The cost implications mm-hmm. for distribution. Um, they don't think about things like SAG residuals. Um, it, all of this is, is value. All of this is, it, you know, com- it commands a dollar being spent to a to two dollars being right. transacted, so you do have to think about these things. Sure. Like but if, so, what specifically can a filmmaker do? Like, I, they hear you loud and clear, right? Um, what are what are the steps that they get to take to figure out what those what that value is, right? Well, do, so it's like okay, no Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, but right? it's just like do your research and be you know be a be a consumer just as much as you are a filmmaker. Um, if you're if if you want to fit within the echelon of like you know Joe Swanberg or mm-hmm. you know guys of that sure. quote unquote mumblecore you know community um, Factory Twenty Five like you need to know what Factory Twenty Five if if you love mumblecore movies and you don't know what Factory Twenty Five is or who Factory Twenty Five is you need to take a step back from thinking about making a mumblecore movie. Mm-hmm. And find out who Factory Twenty Five is. <laughs> you need to you need to look up guys like uh, Ryan Keller over at Instrum International. You know this boutique sales agency, and these are guys that transact on these pictures. Mm-hmm. You want your movie distributed. You want your movie in front of an audience. So you're saying look. You're saying take a comp right, and then figure out who the players are in that films. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. If you want your movie to be seen outside of, you know, Banff, uh-huh. like it behooves you to know when, you know, the the executives from Visit Films reach out to you and say, "Hey, we're interested in your picture." Like, you should know who these people are because you've done your research, mm-hmm. like, so that you're prepared to do business on your picture because. This and this happens almost on every single picture I've ever encountered, which is we'll take an initial meeting. You know, hey, we want to make this because we're really passionate. Right, that's awesome. Go make your movie, man. Delivery occurs to us. We internalize, and at some point, right when they're done delivering, they're like, "Well, how 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 much money can we make this year? Mm -hmm. Like, how much? Can you write me a check, like?" Yeah, this yeah. quarter, I did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. now, I need to, I need to get my investor their investment back. Well, fuck you for calling it an investment in the first place. <laughs> like that word is so precious to me. Investment. Like, what did you actually invest? Did you invest one dollar to make two? Do Do you know anything about distribution? Like, sure. you know, <laughs> they're like, um, no, that's why you're here. Right? Yeah. But, but like, you know, that's like, that's like an actor saying to their agent, like, why aren't you getting me jobs? Like the actor, the, the agent doesn't get the job. Mm-hmm. The actor goes and auditions 
and then the agent negotiates the deal. I like, right, right, right. you know, we've all got connections here and there, so it's that's that's not the best example, but it's broadly true. Mm-hmm. Like, even on a high level of operation in Hollywood, like, uh, you know, Stallone's agent isn't getting Rambo set up at New Image. Mm-hmm. There are lots of other people in place that are doing that, including Sylvester Stallone himself. Yeah, an agent will shepherd your movie, you know. An agent will shepherd a deal. Mm-hmm. It, will, it will make sure that T's are crossed and I's are dotted. And when, when you know, that ancillary rights deal for, for airline rights comes in, we know how to negotiate that so that when overages are due, we're collecting those in a timely manner and we're remitting them in mm-hmm. a timely manner. And yeah, I take my piece. I signed the good deal on your behalf. Like, anyways, so like if if you're making a movie and you want to have it be seen by an audience, an audience means money. Like an audience, mm-hmm. every person has a dollar sign floating over their head. They're either willing to transact on your movie or they're not. Like that's the reality of it. You know, unless your goal is to have your movie seen by the broadest audience possible, then what's stopping you from uploading it to YouTube right now? Mm-hmm. You know, if that's all that's important to you. But I would argue that the guy or grandma who put up $75,000 for the picture with the promise of like, hey, grandma, it's a good idea. Check out what this movie Blue Ruin did. (laughs) (laughs) This is a a huge amount. Look at the box office mojo on this and then these 10 other pictures that. Right, Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, look look at at Paranormal Activity and and Unfriended. I passed on Unfriended. mistake there but that's all right but like (laughs) you know but but you have to like if you're gonna if you're gonna invest money and then call it an investment like you need to educate yourself on what the business is just like you need to know the 180 degree rule or you know Mm -hmm. uh like you need to know why an L cut works as opposed to a J cut in certain circumstances but so so let's assume though that you know our listeners are aware of that stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. or rather, let's take a step back. Okay, so like, you know, somebody walks in, they've got their like their pitch deck, and and it's got Blue Ruin in it, and it's got Napoleon Dynamite in it. And you're like, whoa, 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 let's pump the brakes here, um, because those comps don't make any sense to you. What what should they do? What's the right path, right? Because like. Yeah, People you're asking just, what movie is it like, but then when you hear Blue Ruin, you're like, "Well, you're that like, well, that, that's the lightning in a bottle." Do you no, do you no, come in with, with a movie that, that you guys? Sold, but that's not or? what I'm saying. I'm saying your movie. You know, saying my movies like Blue Ruin is just fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh-huh. Expecting that your movie will do the same business that Blue Ruin did is is a misaligned expectation. So let's say that that's not the, the circumstance. They're just saying tone. This is a tonal comp. Okay. Yeah. Right. And they're not expecting that sort of business. Okay. So you're like, oh, great. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. What next? What's the next thing that you talk about? Expectation. It's all about expectation. So, so when you say expectation, like yeah. is it like I, we're expect, we made this movie for half a million dollars and we'd like to make a million dollars? Is so that if, an expectation? If, if, well, if... Let's get more let's, specific. But let's talk about like, because let's talk about Blue Ruin. I know, I know nothing about this movie other than what <laughs> sure, I Sure, sure. It's just a hypothetical. But like, though. you know, but like this, this movie, you know, uh, 
the guys will say like, you know, uh, Jeremy and his wife put, you know, everything on the line. Mm -hmm. They mortgaged their house or, you know, they put their entire savings into this picture. So if, if that filmmaker walks into my office and they're like, Hey, it's, you know, it's like blue ruin. Awesome. Can't, can't wait for it to, you know, get, do you have a festival plan? Okay, great. You've Mm -hmm. got a festival plan. You submit it. All right. We'll see what happens there. Well, what's your expectation? Well, Jeff uh, and Mike, uh, I want you to know I mortgaged my house to finance this picture. Sure. And I'd be like, that's crazy. <laughs> so, so let's qualify expectation, right? Because I think, I think what you're really saying is that there's a handful of different things that are expectations, right? There's the financial expectation, like what people are hoping to make their money back on, how quickly they're hoping to get paid out that money, um, yeah. and then also like the prestige of what their festival plan is and and who they suppose the audience is for this movie and therefore what markets it would yeah play. so expectation you know in context in, in this conversation would be like again defining success how do you right. define success if if the expectation is misaligned then we don't take on the project maybe to our detriment because there's so many sales agencies that you know, are opportunistic and, mm-hmm. and have, and have been opportunistic and then have found lightning in a bottle and it's worked out tremendously for him. It's been, you know, there've been those situations that have changed lives in Hollywood. Well, I, um, I'd love to just get, I know, I think we talked about expectations and def- definitions of success and all that stuff, but I'd love to get into just real specifics sure. that our you, listeners yeah. can take away. Like don't make a $10,000 horror film with no name actor. Like, and I know you don't want to get, you don't want to discourage yeah. anyone from doing anything, but I, I think it's helpful. So I guess starting off, can you tell us why you passed on unfriended that movie? And the uh, unfriended is like a, that's the kind of found like it's screens. like through the, yeah. Through the camera of a laptop, you know, it's thing. like horror searching. Films. Yeah. Right. It's uh, like all well, instant messages. Uh, it was at a time where found footage, was absolutely saturated. Uh, we couldn't go basically a, a single week without having somebody send us something that had a found footage aspect to it. Um, so the the horror genre is incredibly competitive. Uh, found footage from a distributor standpoint, like from the people that we talk to, um, uh, is, is almost like... Uh, uh, an anti-pitch point. It, it, it just says, right off the bat, it says low budget, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then Unfriended uh, didn't have any star value to it. Um, I think there's like a John Cho movie. Searching. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is now trying to kind of like buck that trend. Yeah, yeah. It sold um, for $5 million at Sunday. <laughs> you know, and it can happen. And, and Unfriended went and did, you know, 11 million bucks in yeah, its yeah. opening weekend or something. Like, you know, yeah. but we looked at them. And by the way, Courtney Halverson, who was uh, one of the leads in The Hammer, was in it. So it had some star value, okay? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but so we looked at that picture, and, and I think, you know, uh, Timur Bekmentov was uh, and like an executive producer mm-hmm. on it, and and like so his He's name was being Henry? is that that guy uh, or no wanted uh, director wanted wanted, wanted yeah, yeah nine the animated mm-hmm. thing uh, he did some I think he made a picture for Roger Corman like for, for one of his first pictures um, 
but like that was it like that was it was that was the pitch point to mm-hmm. us was like you should care about this laptop the movie uh <laughs> because it's teamer presents mm-hmm. you know and we looked at that and we were just like well you know he's he's great but our buyer base is probably not going to respond to this. They'd probably put this in the bottom rung of consideration mm-hmm. and it would go for a bottom barrel price. And had that movie not received the studio release that it did. With the massive marketing with budget. With the massive marketing budget right. causing all that pre-awareness. And international, like, international would not have responded to that picture. It felt budget. It felt cheap is well, what the, you're saying. Well, it, it, it just, it just. In a market that's already seen a lot of Yeah, it like just that. didn't stand right. out. Like it was, it, it's a cool concept, but there's another, you know, uh, Instrum has a picture called, I think, Zeros and Ones. Mm-hmm. And it's a similar kind of concept. It's not a horror picture, but so what? Right. Like it's still a laptop camera movie. Has anybody ever heard of Zeros and Ones outside <laughs> of, you know, the people who watch those kinds of, you know, but like it it just, there was nothing, there was nothing driving unfriended. And, and so like, again, lightning in a bottle, paranormal activity was lightning in a bottle. So that's what, that's where it's like, I don't, I don't discourage the, the, the idea from the outset. Like Michael would say, you know, don't waste your time or, you know, focus on something else. Um, but I just, I, I can't do that. Like with a good conscience, having gone through what I've gone through and knowing now what I know, like. You, you never know. know. You when never you'll know. Get go, in a go make your unfriended. Why mm-hmm. not? Because there are a thousand more guys like me in Hollywood who are wrong, you know, and who will say no to unfriended. Sure. But then all you have to do is get it to that one person who says yes and, and, and your life can change. So you want to go make puffy chair makes blue ruin. Like go for sure. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make my job easy as a sales <laughs> agent. though. And I think that's what you're driving at is like, yeah, what, that is exactly what, what makes my at. job easy. And also like when you're in the, so you see a lot of movies after they've been filmed, but when you're at that spot where you're like trying to raise money for your movie and you're going to talk to people like you guys that, you know, might put a few hundred thousand dollars in or connect you with some investors or mm-hmm. someone else that might put a couple hundred grand in. Like what's, like as Blue Ruin meets Puffy Chair, is that something that will not... We wouldn't finance no. that picture. Right. Um, and well, and I ask. wouldn't put sales estimates on that picture. Uh-huh. Because it's because, execution dependent. Because it's execution dependent. And, and like even if it does premiere at South by Southwest... And to rave reviews, what sort of information can can I really absolutely say? This is why it's worth X a number of dollars in France. If you don't go theatrical, mm-hmm. you know, unless the picture is wide release, whatever, right. or unless I can find that guy who's you know working with the government to bypass quota, whatever. Right. And by the way, when I when I met with Jeffrey and Michael, why I thought they're interesting to talk to is because they. I think the way you guys look at movies before they're made, you and Michael wrote and directed some movies. Yeah. And I'm assuming you oh, that's interesting. came yeah. to those from your experience of what sells and doesn't sell. The movies that we've been associated with making have been decisions 
based on contributing to our buyer base. Yes. They're purely financial plays, mm-hmm. first and foremost. And, and every picture is different. Every circumstance is different. But to give you like the shorthanded answer to your question, those pictures that we did were always financial endeavors, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And, and our hope was that they turned out to be good movies like right. you know and and we've submitted like some of the more recent ones like we've submitted them to festivals and and if they get in and are validated sure. awesome fine great yeah. was that our goal from the outset no it, but we know that festivals are a byproduct of movies being made and so if a festival wants to embrace something it's a, sure. It turns into a win-win. But first and foremost, the pictures that we've financed or been involved with uh, in, a, in a heavy financial way have been pictures that we knew we could make for a price and that we could sell for a profit. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not the right way. That's not the wrong way. That's just how we've done it. Um, can you share with us some of the genres that, like, a, like what are buyers well, looking for I'll, today? I'll share, yeah. I'll, like, uh, first, it depends on the buyer, uh, because if your buyer is Factory 25, uh, they're probably not looking for, you know, a Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, Dolph Lundgren two-hander. Um, but if you're Saban, that's exactly what you're looking for. Um, if you're vertical entertainment, um, you're looking for something that is... Uh, remarkable. Uh, you're looking for something that adds to the value of your library, that shows uh, uh, a stream of talent um, that has star value, but doesn't have to. It could be an execution-dependent thing. Um, if you're, uh, you know, s- uh, splendid in Germany, um, you're looking for A-list pictures to put in theaters, um, but you're also looking for... A-list, you mean cast? Yeah, yeah. You're looking for, like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Hitman's Bodyguard, too. You're looking for... Um, you know, hered- they distributed Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you're look- you know, they're looking for remarkable pictures to put in front of audiences, uh, just like Vertical is. Um but so, so specifically with yours, though, but like, but the, yeah. but that's my point. Like every distributor is different, mm-hmm. and and so you know what are distributors looking for? Well, there's there's a lot of different distributors, right? So the, did you say okay? Well, we've got these. We found like there's a common thread between a handful of these distributors, so it's a safe bet. Or how did you land on the usually, deciding to make the movie? Yeah, usually what we do is we look for a gap in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, is we say, you know, how can we contribute to our buyers? Because we're not necessarily, like I said, putting the movie in front of the audience itself. Uh, we're putting the movie in front of the people that put the movie in front of the audience. So we're saying what. What do distributors need right now? You know, what's the gap? Okay, well, there's not enough, you know, <laughs> John claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren two-handers. Um, let's Is that make one, one of the movies you guys made? No, no. Oh. Um, it's just, it's one that in, was yeah. recently released. Uh, Black Sight, I think is what it's called. But that's what we do is we look for a gap in the market, in, you know, from our buyer base. And, and usually we find some sort of compatibility between what the buyer base is looking for, what that gap is, and then let's say what um, what major uh, retailers or outlets are, are looking for too um, because there's an audience demand for it. Usually that's 
there's been an alignment there. Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, for example, we finished a movie, Snake Out of Compton. Um, there is not a whole lot of uh, uh, content on Netflix in North America right now that um, appeals to a broad urban or Latino audience. I hope through the name Snake Out of Compton that mm-hmm. that like <laughs> we that, put two and two together. Too, yeah, yeah, like there's there's a method there, but also it was like um, uh, it was a catchy name, and right. we knew you know it's catchy in the same it's way. It's a that, horror film. Sure, <laughs> it's horror. It's comedy. Horror comedy. It's you know, uh, which is by the way the hardest genre to pull off um, uh, as far as execution like a, wise. Yeah. Um, but the name value of something like Snake Out of Compton is an immediate attention grabber because y- y- you get it like right off. The, <laughs> right. Either you get right. that title right off the bat, or this movie is not for you. Like, <laughs> and I don't care whether you're a distributor or an audience. Like, it's everybody gets it. Immediately. You, yeah. yeah, and if you, and if you don't, like, you know. Right, but it's on you. Hope, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> hope you like your Rachmaninoff LPs. Yeah, there, right, right. Yeah, that's that's fine too. Um, I like Rachmaninoff sure, and, sure. and NWA. Uh, but that's what we look for: is we look for gaps in the marketplace. You know, science fiction, horror, um, action. Uh, you know, these have global appeal because mm-hmm. typically, you know, fear doesn't need uh, a whole lot of uh, colloquial translation. Um, and ass kicking is universally understood. Um, so it's not, it's not to say that like you have to make, you know, a, a movie with a shark sure. with three heads. I like, mean, or like Oren's movie, right? Like, I guess maybe Oren's film came to you after it was already made. So it's a different sort of value proposition. Right. But like Oren's is, think, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think we first became aware of it when you were in, when you were production? just starting out in production. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, could be. And, and then, and then, whatever. Eight months. We had by. like, you know, it, marketing was very much in our. I guess initial that's true. Plan. Yeah, we, there is know, a, we, a it was clear about, sales pitch. It was a like, true story yeah. about a UFC fighter who was yeah. a college championship wrestler and was deaf. Mm-hmm. And our backup plan was if this movie is horrible and nobody wants to see it, at the very least, we know that the deaf market is severely underserved. And There's barely any deaf, right. like literally when people, you ask deaf people who would be the most familiar with that market, like what great movies there are with deaf characters, they would say yeah. Children of a Lesser God, which is like a 30 year old movie, right. Right. Or sure. Mr. Holland's Opus, which is like a 20 year old movie, you know? Yeah. Um, so we knew that, um, we also knew that deaf audiences specifically couldn't watch movies in the theater because they couldn't hear what the mm-hmm. people were saying right. unless they were foreign films or subtitled. So that was like... That that was like our worst case scenario. Um, not that that ultimately we found out that like a lot of audiences nowadays, deaf audiences weren't going to go spend that much right, money right. Um, <laughs> on our movie. But, but but it was like we weren't just banking on it being a good movie. We were banking on here's here's like three very distinct audiences that we felt were underserved: mm-hmm. wrestling movies, UFC movies. Deaf movies, you know, and we obviously it's an indie film and biopic. It's inspirational. We never really thought we would be competitive in that market because their studio, the studios are competing in that market, too. Mm. So that's kind of was our take on it. I, I think a thing that I, I've heard you say a couple times, Jeffrey, is uh, pitch points. Right? Yeah. Like or pitch bullets, maybe. Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 So like I, 
I'm imagining that that's something along the lines of like literally a little bullet point of like, here's the tiny, concise blurb of here yeah. are the, the six different it, reasons why someone wants to buy this movie yeah, or watch the, this movie. It's the, you know, sticker on the side of a car window. Right, right. You know, those are, those are your pitch bullets. It's like bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so when, when a movie comes to you, what are the, what, give us examples of well, pitch points. Then. I'll give you an example of one that came across my radar today, which was, uh, uh, Keanu Reeves, um, uh, Ryui Kitamura, director, um, and $15 million budget, and seven and a half of it was already shored up in private equity. So, like, and that's it. That's, then that that's was it. Idea. And I was right, like, right. well, send me the script. Like, we're totally curious. Is it made already? No. Oh, oh so they're raising, they're pre selling the other half. They're looking for somebody to, yeah, shepherd the other half of the cash. Right. Uh, so, so, so those categories, though, picture. that's like, oh, celebrity, right? Filmmaker with a track record. And action. And yeah, action. action story. Gotcha. Yeah, that's great. And then also... We'll see. I'll read the script tonight. Money is already... 50%. In the bank. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, or at yeah. least... Well, but even let's say, you know, seven and a half of it was not shored up uh, yet. It's still interesting to me because, like, $15 million, you know... Uh, uh, Keanu is uh, arguably, um, you know, he's leading man status. He's, mm-hmm. he's, you know, people right. will go in action to, movies. Yeah, he's in, in an action picture, he, you know, he's a sure. there's there's metrics there, just like right. there's metrics for Jason Statham. So like, those are really strong pitch bullets. I mean, I don't know who else got that kind of email, you know, over the last week or two, um, but I'm sure all of them, mm-hmm. like, if they had if they had good sense and they, and they are interested in making that kind of movie, right. um, they would look at that and be like, yeah, let's take a look. Because even if, you know, Keanu drops out, even if Ryui Kitamura drops out, there are other people that can fill those spots mm-hmm. that make that interesting, even at $15 million. But those were all the pitch bullets I needed right. to, to pique my curiosity. Right, it lowers the execution dependence mm-hmm. on on a film like that. That's a that's a good knee jerk reaction, but you know my perspective on it is it actually it actually heightens it because the worst thing in the world would for would be for that movie to to like you know it's got great marketing. We all go see it on that Friday night, you know, get the babysit, whatever. It's like, we're going to go watch this movie opening weekend. And then we walk out of that theater like the people did on 47 Ronin. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, that movie was just, it was a mess. Like, so I, I sure. think on it's the. It's more fun to talk shit about a bad Keanu Reeves movie. Right. So like yeah, the, yeah. the stakes for, for actually doing something of quality are, are higher. And I think that's just how you have to approach projects these days is like, you know, what what am I going to contribute? Because anybody can go out there and make a mediocre picture. It's not hard, but why not, you know, why not try and raise the bar? So if that script, like, if that script is an action, if it turns out to be more of like a, eh, it's kind of a drama, kind of a thriller thing, I'm not going to be that interested mm-hmm. because... I think like my buyers will want to see, you know, the equivalent of John Wick, but not John Wick. Right. You know, well, let me on that note, let me just ask you one last question before we wrap up. And it's when people are pitching to you, like when I pitched you last week, what's like the litmus test? Like to you, obviously, one of the important things is like is like sell me a character that starts one way and ends another way. That's huge. I mean, yeah. Watching a character undergo changes. um, 
is uh, is massive. Again, you know, there and it can't be subtle, right? Because I was like, well, he's this guy that's not very ambitious, and by the end, he's like more yeah, ambitious. <laughs> you know, you know, the, I, absolutely. Uh, I like I like movies where characters change. You know, there's an argument that could be said. Well, how does Ripley change? You know, in in Alien, like sure. You know, but again, I would tell you, like, even though I've read those, you know, those articles about how Ripley doesn't change, I think she go, undergoes a profound change. Uh, personally, uh, she goes from a crew member to sole survivor. Like mm-hmm. that's a change. She goes from a subordinate crew member to like, you know, uh, creator of her own destiny now, you know, to the lead. Yeah. I would question almost anybody who says like, there are great movies where characters don't change. I would be like, just take a step back and, and actually give that statement the benefit of the doubt and mm-hmm. figure out the real work would be like, it's easy to say the character doesn't change, figure out how they do change. Like, and then, because change is, change is, uh, I, I mean, that's, that's drama, right? That's like, that's the essence of drama as a character fighting against change. That's why you want to see a story, you know, to the end is to see, did they actually learn something? Um, so if your characters don't change, if the world doesn't, you know, change, um, it's not that you shouldn't make the movie. You should just take a, a, a big look at what it is that you're actually trying to tell, you know? If there's a giant, you know, ship that crashes into an iceberg, that's kind of fun to watch sure. too. <laughs> right? Yeah, but change is change is definitely important. Um, cast is definitely important. You know, the first question that you know Directv or or Netflix or Amazon you know buyers will ask is uh, when you present a title and and you don't have key art you know, mm-hmm. to show them, they'll be like, well, who's in it? Uh, so cast is absolutely important. Um, good casting is just as important as casting a, you know, the biggest name. Would Hereditary have been better or more marketable if you know, Sandra Bullock had been the mom? I don't know. You know, yeah. I mean, who's to say? But, but Tony was just fantastic in that picture as you know for performance. Is Sandra Bullock more uh, a stronger sales scenario? Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, let me ask you this kind of final thought in terms of tangible takeaways for people say they want to go talk to you about financing a film what are the things that they walk in with what do you want to see passion uh-huh uh, okay for for what it is that they're doing passion is absolutely infectious uh so even if it's the worst idea uh, and it's called Snake Out of Compton. Um, <laughs> I'll still be interested sure, still uh, because you know because the passion's there to make a movie as raunchy and funny and and crazy as possible. Nothing would be worse than to, to have somebody come in and be like, "Well, you know, it's good for business, <laughs> right?" <laughs> but do you need that? Because I'll you, I'll come up with those ideas myself. Right, thanks. Right. Like I know what's good for business. Do you like a logline, a poster? Uh, Walking you through every, you know, first, second, third act. We'll we'll take it. We'll take almost anything. Going back to like the beginning of this conversation, like less is more typically. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if it's a cold email, typically I like to be you know, uh, corded. Yeah, <laughs> where it's like, hey, Keanu Reeves, are you interested? Yes. Right. Something Keanu Reeves and Ryuichi Kitamura. Uh, but at fifty million bucks. Like, yeah, I'll take. Yes, feed me. You know, and that's exactly what this guy did today. Where it was like, and is there something that would get you that excited without like a a list attachment? Oh yeah, again, you know, if it's if it if it starts with passion, like uh, Dear Automatic Entertainment, 
I just mortgaged my house because I have to make this movie. I'm going into production. And it's a, uh, you know, it's a revenge thriller about two warring families. And um, it's going to be bloody as fuck. Uh, something that is like wildly unique or outside the box um, uh, is, is definitely interesting. Competence in delivery is important too, or being able to trust somebody to actually follow through with their execution, um, that they know their strengths or weaknesses is important in, in a meeting uh, or in an approach um, because if you know, somebody has uh, a great idea but they have no background on how to execute it, but it's a great idea, then like, be clear with that. You know? There's no reason to uh, uh, shy away from the team aspects of, of what filmmaking is. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. But just make good movies. Like, that's it. Make good movies. The cream will rise to the top. Love it. Well, um, shall we move into unpaid endorsements? Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Unpaid endorsements. Number one is, I think it. this might have, I don't remember if this came out of a conversation with you guys or not, um, but I've heard a few people mention like John Truby's book on Anatomy of Story. Yeah, you, we talked about that. Mike, yeah. Mike's been reading that, rereading it or something over the last like week. We're, like during the summers, we move into development, you know. Um, okay. And uh, so we were talking about that during our meeting. Yeah, that yeah. that must be it. So I had we had um, this video essayist that had that references him a lot on mm-hmm. before Michael, and he uh, he mentioned it, and I've heard people mention it here and there. And then you guys mentioned it the other week, and I was like, I should read this Anatomy of Story, especially because I'm working on two different projects right now actively. You know, I'm at that spot where the, I have like a few options of where I can go in my third act and I want to make sure I'm choosing the right direction, sure. which is probably not something I shouldn't be worried about. I should probably just choose the direction and then if it doesn't work, change it as opposed to just being afraid to move forward. Um, but anyway, I, so I started reading that. I've only read the first chapter, but I'm enjoying it very much so far. Truby's and, great. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's another one of those like kind of uh, screenplays or are format, you know, based Mm -hmm. books. So 22 points, you know, John Truby's 22 story beats and, you know, Blake Snyder's Save the Cat, you know, beats and Joseph Campbell's, you know, Hero's Journey. Like they're all, they're all compatible in a way. So it's, it's just giving different, I, I, I look at it as like, just, just giving different kind of like headers to the different sections, but they're, well, it's like inspiration of like how to think about a part. And I'm like, I have how to organize your thoughts. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. It's so easy for a feature to just spit out everything I'm thinking up until the midpoint. And that's when I'm like, now what? (laughs) (laughs) Like now I've said all this stuff. I mean, you know, the, uh, John August and Craig sure. Mason from Script yeah, Notes, yeah. they always talk about, like, don't start your script unless you know the ending. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll find my ending if I start sure. the script, you know? Yeah, there, there is that thing of, like, well, if I just start writing, I'll get there. Um, and, you know, I think some it's different for every person. I think, like, Absolutely. figuring out what your process is yeah, is kind of process. just the whole, uh, the whole deal. Well, so the other thing I was going to mention is there's this political ad for MJ Hager. Have you guys seen it? Mm-hmm. She was like running for Senate, I think, in Texas. Yeah, it went viral. Yeah. One? yeah. Um, and she's, uh, she was in the Air Force and she was a pilot and she has this whole theme of doors and she made this like three and a half minute ad about how she lobbied to let women be part of ground forces in the military. And she did all these things and she's running 
against the governor of Texas now, who was one of the people that was literally that said no to her. Literally wouldn't talk to her, according to her, because she was one of wasn't a donor. You know, who knows like how everything is presented. But this ad went viral because you know it's a real interesting story, and she's got an interesting story. I'm sure a lot of people that are running for office have interesting stories, but the production value is like really high, hmm. and it just. It's really high, but it's not like mind blowing if you look at it compared to like hereditary or something, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's just, I don't know, sometimes it's nice to have a reminder that there's these other formats of video that you can work in that if you just have like a high production value, like something that we, we could all achieve if we spent the time and energy to do it, like you could get noticed. Like, the, like there's more places to kind of get to the forefront of like, you're directing and filmmaking than just like feature films and TV shows and sure. Sundance short films. Like I was thinking if I got the job to make this ad, would I have done all these like awesome Steadicam moves right. and would like I cool transitions so and thoughtful would I have like yeah. fought so hard or would I have been like, it's a political ad, get in front of this <laughs> all right. white psych and yeah, say yeah. your dumb words. So it we'll just kind of- interview you in your office. Right. Yeah. Just kind of reminded me like how, if you can be passionate about even like a political ad for like a local, you know, politician, then people will notice. And mm-hmm. that's like, those are the type of people that, you know, rise to the top. And it's, you know, Rhett and Link who made these like amazing ads for like local businesses, like got super big. So I don't know. It's just kind of inspirational and just the production value of this political ad. Yeah. Yeah. So my unpaid endorsement is um, I have been uh, this last week working a ton on kind of like uh, documents for this show that I've sold and like b- basically like a leave behind, like a two-pager. So like they they bought the pilot, everything's great, everybody loves it, but I'm kind of back in that Bible mode basically, right? So you're working and on the Bible or on the leave behind? It's like a little bit of a, it's kind of this strange document, which is why it's brand new. It's not by any means like a full Bible, but it, it's got kind of like a manifesto sort of feel to it. It's kind of like the leave behind of like, in the circumstance where someone isn't going to have time to read the entire pilot, this is kind of like their primer, basically. And so it has to feel spicy and fun and evoke the world and all, you know, kind of all are of that stuff. Are there images? There are images. So it's a little bit decky, but mostly it's just text, right? Um, so it's a kind of a strange document that like I haven't, especially at this point in the process, you don't normally have to write this. It's kind of, it feels more of like a sales tool. And it is a sales tool because we'll be taking it out to other buyers basically. But so the point is, is that like I'm working on this document and I felt a little rusty. Like we had um, Spencer on, Spencer Griffin, and we talked about like the difference between being able to write a great script and then write an essay about why your script is great are two (laughs) totally different disciplines. And the thing that always helps me get back into that mode is I have a few documents that I like to reread that are uh, inspiration points for me. So like, like the Paul Feig has like a, a excerpt of like the Freaks and Geeks Bible that I'll reread, and it's like very conversational, and like very deep into like the uh, ethos of all of the different characters. And then you know, and it's like funny. Too, it's right? funny and it's fun. But but the point is, is like have a document that. Um, kind of can jumpstart that process for you. And so that's my endorsement. It's relatively abstract, but if you have a few reference points that you can fall back on 
to get you in the right headspace, that can be a really invaluable thing. And you don't find that you're just like kind of copying a style? No, I mean, I couldn't if I tried, but also like, you know, it's about a show that's 20 years old now. So like, I'm not too worried about it. Right. Yeah. I had this thing where I'd like read a bunch of commercial treatments while mm-hmm. I was pitching commercial treatments and a couple of them that I really liked, like, you know how commercials work, right? You have a call with the agency, you talk about the script and then you write a treatment based on it. So this treatment I really liked, the director kept referring to the call. You know, what we said on the call was this, and I loved what you guys said on the call. And I was like, hmm, that's like so casual. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, it's uh, expecting the reader to have so much context. So I like my next treatment was all about that. It was like, I loved what you guys said on the call. You know, when Mike said this, I, it made me think of this thing. And I sent in the treatment and everyone's like, who's Mike? What call? Like what? Like, this is so confusing. And I realized like, oh, I was just literally copying what the, the way this other director right, talks. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I you're was like, like creating the style head. too yeah. much. Yeah. So I pulled back on it. Uh, now, actually, a couple, I got kind of negative feedback on that from a few people. So I just stopped doing that altogether. But, but it reminded me that you don't have to be so formal mm-hmm. in, yeah. in your writing. Anyway, uh, yeah. cool. That's a, that's a good endorsement. A little spice to it. Yeah. Giles. Okay. All right. Uh, just because I've been kind of getting back into this on my commutes in the morning is uh, video essayists on YouTube. I love listening to these guys, uh, like just discovering it's almost like a rabbit hole. Uh, so like lessons from the screenplay and sure. you know, that's nerd writer the guy one. we had on. Oh, you had, yeah, you had that, I wondered. So yeah. like, yeah, that guy's genius. I would love for him to write a script and send it my way. Yo, uh, if Michael, if you are listening, so, I, he's down, I'm so, sure. So I know he's down. So here's my challenge like to guys who are listening to Lessons from a Screenplay or Channel Chris Well or uh, I don't think Nerdwriter1 Evan is probably interested in writing a script at any point, but uh, Jack's Movie Reviews, um, uh, and there's more, and I'm not either I'm – I'm not mentioning their names because I forget some of their names or I don't want to say it right, wrong. Um, but I like these guys are profoundly amazing. And I think if uh, there were filmmakers out there who are really internalizing what some of these guys are saying and paying attention to the videos that these guys are making and, and uh, adhering to their advice, um, we should be in a wave of really amazing content coming out within the next five years. Didn't... Um the guy who did Columbus was a video essayist first. I can't remember his name now. Well, I just yeah. I just look at these guys as like the you know Cahir du Cinema, like mm-hmm. you know yeah, those, yeah. like French New Wave. These are these are our guys like yeah, today. Yeah. You know, so huge huge kudos to the research that they're doing and uh, the amount of time that they're putting into these videos. Um, even things like uh, what's it called uh, Wisecrack. Uh, Garrick Swarmuloid. Like, have you heard of it? You I don't know this, know this one, no. Earthling Cinema. That's what it's oh. called. Oh, he's hilarious, too. But, like, you know, they'll take, they'll take you know, these movies and then they'll break them down and, and he breaks it down in a funny way. And then, and then he'll, he'll actually dive into, like, what is old boy trying to say to you? You know, what are the thematic elements here? And it really, like, dives into film theory and criticism stuff. And it's just great. And he does it in a way that's, you know, perfect for YouTube and but don't you think that that stuff is just like reflective like they're not creating as 
it's so different to analyze films than to write films. Sure, sure. And that, but that's why I'm like, you know, if these guys have any inclination to actually. And it is creative. I didn't mean it's not creative. I meant that. Sure. Uh, finding interesting connections in film. Recognizing theme versus creating. Yeah. yeah. Or just knowing why a story or movie works, like just on on a basic level or in the most, you know, deepest hidden meanings, you know, sort of way. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I just think, like, I just think these people are, are, are unbridled geniuses mm-hmm. that just need to get their stories out some if they have that ambition like i think they've really they've t- tapped onto something and hollywood should sit up and pay attention and sure and uh um i think michael michael's the one that did the dark knight one yeah he said people like are constantly telling him that studio execs are referencing his dark knight video i the, was, like the why it's a perfect villain or something yeah right? that that one that's his big breakout and i remember um i had lunch with my lawyer the day that we were interviewing him and he brought it up like yeah, apropos, right. I wasn't like, Oh yeah, we've got, I wasn't talking about the podcast. He was like, Oh, have you seen this great video on why villains are so important? Yeah. Like I think, yeah. you know, this is, these guys are important and you should support them on Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, if you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions. If you got any questions for Jeffrey Giles, we will forward your email to him. Our information is very public. We're not hard to find. If you mention Keanu Reeves, he'll probably yeah, read it. I'll, I'll probably open that email. <laughs> um, you can follow us on Twitter at justshootitpod, on Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. We'd love to get a review from you on iTunes. You can Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Smitey Pileg. And I'm at Mr. Mad Unload. You can give us a voicemail at 2626-SHOOT1. We love to hear your questions on the air. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. It's produced by Madeline Rosewatt. And the music is provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And if you want to find out more about Michael, check out Automatic with a C Entertainment <laughs> in Google, and you'll find everything they've ever done. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Thanks. man.